It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. COVID-19 is the biggest health crisis in our lifetime. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals to stop it, but we need your help. Even if you don't feel sick, you could be carrying it. And just one person with the virus can infect another 40, who then infect thousands more. So I've issued an executive order requiring everyone to stay home to help limit the spread of the virus. Let's protect the people we love. Stay home and stay safe. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey there, I'm Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Might surprise you to be hearing from me, some smoke show Midwestern governor nobody heard about till a couple weeks ago. But governors are kind of having a moment right now. And while other govs get cool nicknames like Daddy Cuomo and Gavin Choke Me King Newsom, Trump refers to me as that woman from Michigan. But I'm not offended because I am proud to be from Michigan. And that woman is also what Trump calls his wife. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm. And yeah, yeah, I'm nursing all the bats because... Even though most frickin' governors are laying down restrictions because of the virus, mine are somehow too far. Now, you may have heard about the protesters that gathered in the streets of our capital for Ted Nugent cosplay last week. Look, people, it's live free or die, not live free and die. And Trump advisor Stephen Moore is comparing these protesters to Rosa Parks. Yeah. If Rosa Parks was fighting for her right to get hit by a bus. Sorry, that's a little bats talking. But I support all Americans and Michiganders' freedom of speech. So if you got to protest, here are some tips on how to do it safely. Number one, stay home. I promise you can call me a bitch from the safety of your couch. It's called Twitter. So if you must head outside, maintain proper social distancing. That means six feet apart at all times. So if the tip of your AK-47 can touch the tip of your buddy's AK, back up. And please, wear face masks, but not a joker mask and and not a clown mask and absolutely no masks that come with the hood. Now, like you, I have heard the rumors that I'm on the short list to be Joe Biden's vice president, the VP's VP, because if it's going to be a woman, it might as well be that woman. But my sole priority is my home state, because we're not out of the woods. We never will be. We live in Michigan. 
and to anyone that stands in the way of the health and safety of my constituents, I'll remind you, the Michigan is the mitten, right? And this, this is where I live. Oh, dang it, they're throwing dog crap at my door. Knock it off! I'll throw it back! I did it last time, too! You know I will! Tom Sumner, Program.com The Tom Sumner, Program.com And welcome back, everybody. Uh, This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is uh, Director of the School of Public Policy and Urban Affairs at North Eastern University, and uh, the author of a new book called Diversifying Power, Why We Need Anti-Racist Feminist Leadership on Climate and Energy by Jenny Stevens. She joins me by phone. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tom. Great to be on your show. Um, Do women think differently about climate and energy? Well, so the um, the premise uh, of the book is really to emphasize that we all bring our lived experiences to our leadership, to our workplace, to our families, to our communities, and that diversity of of that experience actually leads to better outcomes. Um, so um, the, the the question is is that we all have different. Uh, perspectives and priorities and perceptions of risk um, based on how we how our life has uh, our life experiences and the the case is really to be made that um, we actually can make better decisions and policies for the greater good and the public good when we have um, more diversity how does race factor into this so a key piece here is um, that we have had in the United States um, over the past four, four decades or so, I've been working on climate and energy for um, my whole career, um, which is about 20 years. Um, and one of the things that I've been um, increasingly frustrated about is the kind of narrow conversations and understanding about climate and energy and how they're connected to everything else. So um, one of the the idea here is that if we have more diverse leadership and engagement on these issues, we can connect more explicitly with um, the discrepancies and racial disparities and health outcomes and and, that is directly related to our fossil fuel infrastructure. If you think there's one of the leaders that I uh, talk about in the book is uh, Jackie Patterson, who who heads up NAACP's Environmental and Climate Justice Program. And what she and her team have been doing really impactful work illustrating um, how the fossil fuel industry has actually manipulated and co-opted um, black communities around the country, um, oftentimes to, to get support for their fossil fuel projects, even though oftentimes those communities are actually 
um, you know, very negatively impacted in terms of exposure to toxic and other industrial processes, and also a lot of those communities have less access to health care as well. So um, the, um, the linkages um, with climate justice and uh, racial justice are becoming more clear, um, particularly right now, as we see with the pandemic, um, the disparities among communities and how people are, are able to respond to big disruptions in their lives um, is really uh, alarming, and uh, we've been under-investing in too many communities uh, for a long time. There's been, you mentioned the pandemic, and that's just one of the things that has has been uh, big, big news in 2020, but also um, systemic racism and problems within police departments in African-American communities and the the cases like George Floyd and others that have brought about a great deal of protest, but also a great deal of awareness. Has the has the pandemic and and those protests and and the subsequent awareness created an opportunity for leadership in this country to to take into consideration anti-racist and and feminist. Um, influences in in decision making is it and has it become sort of an invitation to bring everybody to the table? Absolutely, I think we are in um, a really difficult, hard place right now. A lot of suffering, a lot of hardship, and we actually have interconnected crises. Right, we have the pandemic, uh, which is a health. Uh, crisis, and we've actually had a health care access crisis even before the pandemic, um, and the pandemic is revealing a lot of that. And you mentioned um, the systemic racism um, and the racial injustices that are uh, have also been revealed um, and heightened awareness about in the past few months. We also are in the middle of an economic crisis, um, and um, a food insecurity ha- crisis, a housing insecurity crisis, and all of these um, crises mean we're in a very uh, turbulent, disruptive time. And um, that it's often when there are, when when societies are in these turbulent times, that's often when there can be, as you mentioned, an opportunity to reimagine, reconfigure, reinvest, and and restructure society in ways that are focused on investing in and supporting what people and families and communities need. Um, what's happened uh, in the United States uh, over the past four decades is a concentration of wealth and power where the 1% um, has just um, increased their share of national income and national wealth. And um, in the book, we, I talk about that those 1%. A lot of them are can, you can consider the polluter elite, where they're actually investing and strategically investing to resist uh, transitioning away from fossil fuel use because they're making so much money out of fossil fuels, and they have been, um, you know, actively 
resisting by uh, investing in a misinformation campaign to deny climate science, and also undermining public trust in government, undermining our democratic processes and protections that the government is supposed to have for us, and also minimizing worker protections and worker rights. So we don't always think of um, the you know, widening income and wealth gap as a climate issue, but they're actually intricately connected because of, particularly because of the fossil fuel industry and how powerful um, the polluter elite have been in influencing our policies. And right now, the moment we're in, we're seeing that so many of our policies across the board in health, education, environment, have really failed us, right? Like we, we're a country with a lot of resources. We should be able to um, be more resilient than than how we are right now, and we're in a in a really difficult time. But in recent years, and perhaps maybe the last decade, um, and, and maybe it goes back a little further than that. But there has been a a growing interest in moving away from fossil fuels. Um, how is that that new demand? not influencing the one percenters well i i hope it is and i i think it is um but the problem is is deeper than just the one percenters because what's happened is that over the the investments that they have made for over decades have actually changed you know almost cultural and political change if you look at the current national leadership you know, it's it's actually very explicitly based on excluding certain people and kind of con- focused on trying to continue to concentrate wealth and power. And, exa- and so many of the policies actually exacerbate inequities in race and gender. Um, and the current leadership is, um, you know, systemically denying that we even have any of these problems, right? Like, it, it's the, there's actually a cultural, political um, strategy of denying that we have a climate crisis, denying we even have the pandemic, or it's as bad as it, it should be, or as it is, denying that we have a racial justice, structural racism problem, denying that we have an economic crisis. Um, and, and so this strategy of denial has become pretty deep. So, yes, and there's a... And the, there's a lot of opportunities, um, but that's what we have to overcome is that even it's, it's not even a kind of um, fact-based argument. It's almost like a cultural um, perspective that everything's fine and we, need, we, we can just keep doing what we're doing, yet we're now realizing that business as usual does not work and we do need really big changes. And that's where also I have optimism with new leaders um, who are emerging, who really demonstrate anti-racist feminist leadership, um, and also the youth movement. Um, so many young people today are really worried about the future, not only with the climate crisis, but economics and jobs. It, it doesn't look so bright, right? And um, that's where leaders like Varshini Prakash of the Sunrise Movement have come together and really are are mobilizing young people and building coalitions with the movement for black lives and um, climate activism and kind of connecting these issues in really powerful ways.
More with professor and author Jenny Stevens about her book, Diversifying Power, straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays at 11 for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bai from the Blue Hornets. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. This is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. Fabulous 60s, the marches, the pins, the draft card burnings, and best of all, the music. Well, now Apple House has collected the finest of those songs on one album called Golden Protest, performed by the original artists who made them famous. You'll thrill to Society's Child by Janicean, Pleasant Ballet Sunday by the Monkees, What Have They Done to the Rain by the Searchers, In the Ghetto by Elvis Presley, Silent Night, 7 O'Clock News by Simon and Garfunkel. Who can ever forget this all-time classic? Yes, it's Barry Maguire's immortal Eve of Destruction. And, of course, my own Masters of War, all for the incredibly low price of $3.95. And if you order now, you'll also receive a treasury of acid rock featuring vanilla fudge, blue chair, frigid pink, Moby Grape, the electric prunes, Jefferson Airplane, Lotharian hand people, to name but a few. Plus, as part of this special limited offer, you also get the best of the supergroups with Traffic, Cream, Blind Faith, Ginger Baker's Air Force, and many, many others. Yes, this is a collector's dream, Golden Protest, plus two fabulous 60s albums, all for only $3.95. If you were to purchase these selections separately, they'd cost you hundreds of dollars, and many cannot be found anywhere at any price. Well... 
It's time for my boot heels to be wandering. But here's something will tell you how you can get this amazing record package. Here's how to order this amazing record package. Just send $3.95 and check your money order plus your name and address to Apple House Box 70K South Bend, Indiana. Once again, that's $3.95 and check your money to Apple House Box 70 Do it today. Tom Sumner, program.com. The Tom Sumner, program.com. This is Jill Stein, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with professor and author Jenny Stevens about her book, Diversifying Power, straight ahead. It, it just seems that as, as people become more, and I don't know if I'm using this phrase correctly, but more woke, um, that there would be a push, just a, a free market shift in meeting the demands of people that are looking to do things differently. I see companies reacting to it to some degree. Absolutely. So there's, you know, there's space for um, acknowledgement and and advocacy to move toward um, a more inclusive and collaborative um, society um, uh, in multiple levels. Um, and when we talk about leadership, we're not just talking about elected officials. Um, as, you, as you mentioned, there's all kinds of leadership that the private sector um, can, can demonstrate and uh, community-based. We can all be leaders in the organizations that we work for or the um, communities that we're a part of. Um, and we can bring these anti-racist feminist principles to to bear in whatever role we we are playing in in society. So uh, when I talk about uh, oh sorry no no go go ahead and finish. I was just going to say when when I talk about um, diversifying power and and talking about having more women, more people of color, more indigenous folks um, in leadership spaces where they have been historically excluded, um, that is really important and and will lead to, um, and has there's evidence that it leads to, you know, better, um, uh, more effective and inclusive policies. And it's also true that, um, you know, men and people of all races um, can embrace anti-racist feminist leadership. Um, so it's not only about the representation, which is, which is critical, um, but it's also about all leaders um, recognizing and, and standing up for and acknowledging how um, to be able to really center social justice and racial justice and economic justice at the core. Because all too often when we don't, we end up having policies that exacerbate the inequities and disparities rather than um, reduce them. Would sensible policy on, on climate and energy education and, and other things, um, would it, do you think that, that these things would improve or, or um, that change would come quicker if the legislature and boardrooms around the country and, and other leadership positions were already more diverse? I do. Uh, in my own experience uh, working in the climate and energy space, um, I think we've missed some opportunities to focus on 
connect the dots, I guess, uh, you know, among these issues uh, because people have had more of a narrow um, perspective. And, and we know that, you know, more diverse teams are more innovative and creative and come up with better solutions, right? And um, one of the challenges, I think, with climate change in particular is that the discourse has very much been focused on kind of a, the science and technology of it, and it has kind of a narrow technocratic lens where people are talking about decarbonization and greenhouse gas emission reductions. And it's, it's not a very compelling narrative that relates to a lot of people's day-to-day, -day, right, what people wake up worrying about. So because it's been kind of limited, who are the climate energy experts, and they've been influencing the discourse, um, I think we've missed opportunities to connect um, climate uh, investments and climate action with jobs and economic development and, and connecting climate change with health. Um, you know, health, so there are several communities around the the country and, and around the world that have recently um, announced that the climate crisis is actually a health emergency, right? Because there's so many health impacts of climate change, yet that isn't the way most of our climate experts and climate policy has been um, discussed. So I think having more diverse leadership, if we had, had already had more diverse leadership, um, we would have we could have been better at making some of these linkages earlier. Um, now we're in a situation where, with the pandemic in particular, um, a lot of these linkages are becoming more, uh, are, are being kind of revealed and, and more people are uh, making these connections. And I think that's where there is optimism in that we're in a transformative time, the, the, the instability and disruption that we're in right now um, is is scary and frightening, and we are seeing you know new coalitions forming and people coming together and and calling for kind of a more holistic approach to invest in public investment in um, our communities and and um, what people really need. One of the examples that you point to is the U.S. response to the pandemic and its inadequacy and the fact that countries led by women seem to have um, done a much better job in managing the spread of coronavirus. Um, talk about that a little bit. How did that... Yeah, so... That's, that's not typically very well known. How did it manage to find its way onto your radar? Yeah, so um, Jacinda Ardern is the Prime Minister of New Zealand, and she has been, um, you know, really acknowledged as, as one of the most effective leaders um, when it comes to uh, the pandemic and managing the coronavirus. And as you mentioned, other countries like Taiwan and Denmark and Germany, also led by women, have been um, very among the most effective. Um, and it seems like the characteristics of that leadership that seem to be um, uh, valuable here is taking swift evidence-based action um, and then communicating to the people in a trusted way why, uh, kind of with compassion and empathy for the challenges of that um, and demonstrating 
in a in a in a trusted way that it's not only about your health or your family's health, but it's also about the health of um, the community and the collective good for the country, right? And um, that kind of leadership is the same kind of leadership that we need on um, with climate and energy as well. And we need to, um, again, take evidence-based action um, to prevent further disruption and, and suffering. And we need to connect it with um, compassionate and empathetic uh, understanding of why we need to do it and then support people so that it's, it's not a hardship. It's, it, it, it should be the opposite. It should be um, investment in, in what other what people really need. You've worked on uh, climate and energy-related uh, issues for a long time, but when and how did it come to you that it wasn't just a matter of changing policy but changing policy makers? Yeah, I think... Um, I, you know, working in the climate energy space, going to energy conferences in particular that were mostly men at these conferences, um, and recognizing that my women colleagues um, were actually thinking about some of these issues in different ways. Um, and it's not because, you know, for lots of different reasons we're thinking about them in different ways and we're connecting um, some of these challenges um, and opportunities with with other broader issues. Um, so I think it, it was kind of a, a gradual um, shift in my in my own thinking. I actually have a science and engineering background um, and so I, I was trained by and originally learned about the climate crisis very much from a kind of technocratic um, perspective um, and and I, I recognized increasingly um, that we've, we've been missing out on a lot of things by not investing a, enough in understanding social change and social innovation. We've been focused a lot on technological innovation, um, but not as much on social innovation. And, and when we focus on social innovation, it opens up space um, to focus on social justice. And that is what's so critical because when we ignore, um, when, we, when we don't think about the social dimensions, so many of our climate and energy policies have actually been exacerbating inequities. So, for example, um, you know, a lot of our incentives for uh, solar panels, for example, um, offered homeowners, if you, you know, if you have $10,000 um, you can get all kinds of subsidies to offset the rest of the cost, and then you have solar panels on your roof, and then you have free electricity for the for the remaining, um, you know, for the next few decades. Um, so that so it actually ends up being a subsidy and incentivizing and um, privileged households, whereas households with a high energy burden where a much higher percent of their income might be going to pay their energy bills uh, don't have access to those benefits and the, to the solar. Um, so I think that is a, a, a critical piece that we really need to be um, acknowledging. Where, where does jobs fit into all this? Yeah, so um, as we move away from fossil fuel-based energy system toward a more renewable-based energy system uh, society, there are a lot of opportunities for jobs because um, 
renewable-based energy future is not just wind or solar. It could also it could include you know on solar uh, on coastal communities. It could also include wind. I mean wave and tidal energy or offshore wind. Inland, it could include geothermal energy as well. So. One of the visions of a renewable-based future is actually a lot of heterogeneous mix of different kinds of technologies in different places and locally appropriate, right? Like different regions of the country, different communities um, could have more or less of, of, a, of the, a different mix of renewable energy. And with that, there's also renewable energy at, at all different scales. We can talk about household and individual um, renewable energy or community-owned and managed renewable energy, but then you can also talk about big, large-scale wind and solar or geothermal plants. And so all of those um, is in big investments in new approaches, new technologies um, that all involves a lot of new jobs um, in the installation, but then also in the maintenance and in the um, And the manufacturer. Um, and the manufacturing, for sure. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of opportunities there. A lot of the options are already available and costs are coming down, but it does seem that there are a lot of uh a lot of barriers to taking advantage of those kinds of programs like, you know, solar panels on the roof and that sort of thing. There are also some you know, um I live in Michigan, so it's 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 one of those things. Solar panels on the roof might not see the sun for three or four months every year. Um, mm-hmm. But there are a lot of challenges uh, to people who would like to maybe go somewhat off the grid per se, um, and yet it's it's economically or even regulatory. Uh, difficulties factor in to to making it hard to do. And there's the concern that where we are in the process of developing the new technology isn't adequate to the amount of power we try to consume with, you know, Zoom meetings and Netflix binging and so on. Yeah. So I I think it's, it has, it has been very hard, and there are barriers and obstacles, and it hasn't, it hasn't been easy. Um, you know, you really have to be, for many, many people really have to be, you know, kind of diehard to get through the process because it's, it's kind of complicated. Um, and so that is, that is a, a result of kind of this um, larger-scale resistance to investing in renewable energy and uh, uh, an effort to really keep it, keep us reliant on fossil fuels. Um, so because there's no, we could be investing much more. We could make it much easier for people. And um, it would actually make a lot of economic sense if we did invest more and how far even, you know, make it easier for people to, to be able to. Because the, the, the amazing thing about renewable energy is that once you've invested and you've figured out a, the technology to leverage the renewable energy, whether it be sun, wind, or water, or geothermal, it's perpetual, it's abundant, and it's free. It, we know, even you mentioned, you know, the sun might not shine um, in the winter when it's really snowy up in, in Michigan, but um, you know the sun is going to shine every day, even 
some of the day, right? And if you manage and you can understand how much to expect, um, then you can complement that with another form of renewable energy uh, that will that together with a with a appropriate mix and and um, it could it could it could work very well. And so I think that piece of uh, the value of harnessing renewable energy is more than just the cost of, that we think of um, of because it has this longer term. Uh, result in in our society. First of all, that we don't have to be the, all the geopolitics of fossil fuels, which gets very complicated. Uh, we don't have to deal with, and we um, have a lot of freedom in our communities and in our households, um, and 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 our states can, you know, uh, be able to be more self-sufficient. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of potential there. You you asked about also the amount of energy that we use and. Um, yeah. There is, I mean, there is so much renewable energy to be harnessed, <laughs> um, and as I mentioned, it's it, it keeps coming, right? Um, there's no, it, it will never, it's perpetual. Um, unlike fossil fuels, which we know at some point um, is getting harder and harder to extract, and then, um, you know, it, it is finite. Um, so we can, you know, it's it's a balance of how much we invest, and then. And then how much, you know, maybe we do um, need to make or um, adjust our consumption, energy consumption um, expectations. But at the same time, um, there's plenty of renewable energy. It's just a question of leveraging it and building enough wind turbines and solar panels um, to um, uh, harness it. You know, a lot of trust has deteriorated um, with regard to elected officials and uh, government agencies, uh, business leaders, um, and, and sadly, even science. Um, people, you mentioned climate deniers, but there there are people who who doubt science uh, doctors and other experts even on uh, what to do about coronavirus. Um, how would diversification of leadership? impact that that damaged trust yeah so i think part of it is related to this um kind of a, a principled uh approach to um not being influenced as much by corporate interests right um and um and then communicating directly and holding people accountable. I think we need to return to, um, you know, back to basics almost, right? In in what do we need to um, rebuild and reinvest in our communities? And then how can leaders prioritize those and demonstrate in a transparent and clear and principled way why they're doing what they're doing, why they're advocating for what they're advocating for. And, um, you know, I guess I, I, I think about uh, the squad, the four uh, junior congresswomen who have come on the national stage um, just in the past uh, year or two or a couple of years, and they have really, um, you know, spoken up and spoken out about issues that, are very practical and um, 
kind of sensible, yet they've been able to communicate in a way um, and that speaks to people in a, in a more trusting way, I think. Um, so I think there's, there's, there's really opportunity here to rebuild trust, and I agree that um, the mistrust is, is very um, detrimental to, to everything. Um, but I think with some of these new, emerging, inspiring leaders, um, who are very principled and transparent in, in what they're doing and why they're doing what they're doing, I think we have opportunities to, to rebuild that. My guest is uh, Jenny Stevens, the author of a new book called Diversifying Power, Why We Need Anti-Racist Feminist Leadership on Climate and Energy. And Jenny, uh, I'm really enjoying our conversation. I feel like we could talk about this all all day, but... Uh, uh, unfortunately, we're just about out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can dig in a little deeper. Obviously, the book is a great place to start, but do you have a website where people can keep track of your work, past, present, and future? Yes, absolutely. My website is jennycstevens.com, um, and I will also mention that the book is um, all author proceeds from the book are going to NAACP's Environmental and Climate Justice Program. Um, and I hope that the book offers, um, you know, inspiration and some optimism during this difficult time. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for uh, spending time with me this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tom. Great to be on your program. Take care. Thanks. That was uh, Jenny Stevens. She is the director of the School of Public Policy and Urban Affairs at Northeastern University, where she is also the Dean's Professor of Sustainability Science and Policy. Her new book is Diversifying Power, Why We Need Anti-Racist Feminist Leadership on Climate and Energy. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and Start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. The interest of goodwill. The Hoffman Beverage Company feels compelled to make this announcement. It's simply this. All Hoffman flavors have that happy taste, except sarsaparilla. We might as well come right out with it. We haven't quite hit that happy, carefree note in sarsaparilla. Now, please don't misunderstand us. Our Hoffman sarsaparilla is absolutely dependable. It's trustworthy. It's loyal. And many fine, upstanding citizens love it. But it just isn't what we call happy. You take our Hoffman orange. It's absolutely rollicking. Our lemon is almost giggly. 
Our black cherry and black raspberry are so bubbling with happiness, they dance in the glass. They all have natural flavor and famous Hoffman study sparkle. We're sorry about Hoffman sarsaparilla. Why isn't it happy? Well, let me ask you. Could you be happy if your name this were This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. You ain't gonna stay 
Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 